Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks. I'm delighted to be your host. I'm a retail transformation specialist and one of LinkedIn's top voices for retail. I work with retailers to help drive effective transformation initiatives, being sure to understand the precise business challenges, define the ideal operating model and the best solution, and then drive progress and create the right culture to propel the business forward into the future. If you'd like help accelerating your transformation or navigating the way through disruption, then do reach out. Find me on LinkedIn or grab my details on the show notes. I really appreciate you tuning in today. This one is episode 246, number 246. You already know, I'm sure, that automation levels are increasing throughout the retail setting especially thinking about more robotic automation, you know, physical robots, the technology is developing at really an exciting pace. Elements like precision sensors, advanced vision systems, faster controllers and control systems, lower costs, and more flexibility for retrofitting into existing buildings means that more and more retailers are now experimenting and expanding their levels of automation. And that robotic automation is transforming the operating model in stores, in supply chains, in deliveries, in restaurants and cafes, and a whole number of other settings. Now, I'll be honest with you, robotics does hold a nice, kind place in my heart. That is the engineer in me. If you didn't already know, I'm formerly a mechanical and systems engineer, So I appreciate all of the different mechanics and the logic and the flow that's going on. And robotic systems are so intelligent right now, I think it's hard not to appreciate the levels of sophistication. But it's not just the geeky side, right? A number of people, consumers especially, are really becoming quite warm to robots that are helping them do shopping, whether it's delivering, whether it's supporting them in stores. And it's an interesting transition. Is it the first step towards a robot-controlled utopia? Who knows? But what I do know is it is an exciting market. And so today we're going to be diving into it in a lot more detail. And in particular, we're starting with one of the most prevalent use cases for robotics, warehouses and distribution centers. In today's episode, we're going to take a bit of a look at the market and the different types of robots that you could employ and thinking about what that brings you, as well as some of the watchouts and a little view as to where I think we could be heading over the next few years. As I mentioned, today's episode is episode 246, so you will find the show notes over at obandco.uk slash 246. And whilst you're over there, check out the Retail Transformation Briefing too. This is my weekly email newsletter, which aims to help you 
Stay up to date with the evolving world of retail, looking at key headlines from around the world, exploring trials, exploring new innovations, as well as key insight about how consumers, competitors, and the art of transformation is changing. It's completely free to sign up, so head on over to obandco.uk slash 246. So as we start to think about different use cases in warehouses and distribution centers or fulfillment centers, I think it's useful just to step back and think, how did we get here? Well, robots really started in a manufacturing environment as a way to speed up production and really fuel efficiency in the age of mass production. Robots were specifically designed for a task. They were wedded to the process with specialized jobs. So maybe that is welding a car frame together or lifting heavy items or placing and tightening screws and bolts or even replenishing components so the rest of the manufacturing line can continue at pace. And this use case with a very high level of utilization developed the overall technology to a stage where it started to be adopted in noisier environments where there was more flexibility needed. You know, you're not just talking about producing one particular car model and having a robot that could do that one car model. We're talking about lots of different changes, all subtle, but that's kind of critically important when you're talking about a robot that does not have the human dexterity or intelligence to quickly adapt. So in the retail setting, as I say, warehouses are the most prevalent use. And within a warehouse, the most common use case is around stock movement. And there are two broad technologies going on here. AGVs, which stands for Automated Guided Vehicle, and AMRs, which stands for Autonomous Mobile Robot. Now, before I lose you completely in lingo, I'm not going to dive deep into all of the different technologies and how they work, but it is important to understand these two different types of robot. An AGV is a cheaper robot. It follows a defined track, very specific route to get from A to B. And that's all it can do. It needs the path to be clear. So if something falls in the way, it may be able to detect that there is an obstacle, hopefully, but it cannot do anything about it. It needs someone or something to move that obstacle before it can continue on its merry way. However, an AMR, an autonomous mobile robot, is more intelligent. It can change journey mid-route. So if there is that obstruction, it can look at the path ahead and think, right, I need to divert and take an alternative route. And that can be particularly useful in a warehouse setting when you start to think about congestion, whether that's other robots or people, or of course, obstacles and fallen over products. It keeps the whole process, the whole warehouse flowing nicely. Now these are two robots, but let's not forget there are loads of other different automation solutions for warehouses. And particularly with that stock movement use case, you might be thinking about conveyors and intelligent conveyors that can recognize a particular product or an order and route it off into different directions. And these can also take the form of rails and chutes or a whole combination. And they're very similar to AGVs in many ways. They follow a specific route. 
but actually they're a lot less flexible. They have to be fitted into the building. And so as you start to think about different robotic solutions, that word flexibility becomes more and more important. How consistent is the job that they're going to do? Is it going to be the same task day in, day out for years to come whilst you deliver the ROI? Or is there an element of change that you say, I don't know what category split I'm going to have in five years time, for example, or I'm not entirely sure on how volumes will work or product sizes, whatever. So flexibility is a really key thing. But coming back to thinking about how we've got to where we are with robotics, Kiva Systems really innovated the market. They developed small robots, which move underneath a shelving unit full of stock, lift up the entire unit so that all of the stock can be brought to a human picker and then stored away again. Now, Amazon acquired Kiva Systems back in 2012, and they've continued to develop this process, ultimately forming Amazon Robotics, which now is operating a fleet of over 750,000 robots across the world. Three quarters of a million robots. Bonkers, eh? So Amazon are absolutely really advanced. And I remember looking at Kiva Systems just before they were acquired, and it was a fantastic solution. And Amazon have certainly been tinkering away over the last 11 years. But this type of AMR is not the only style of stock-moving robot on the market. The Autostore or Cardo-style robot, which works with totes and great big stacks of totes with the product in, is another popular option. Now, I say Autostore slash Ocado because they're different designs, but very, very similar. And those two companies are continually going at it in terms of intellectual property disputes. Autostore has around 1,200 systems around the world and operating around 50,000 robots, to my estimates. And what happens here, totes are stacked up, meters into the air, and these robots swarm around working together as a robot team to dig out and find whichever tote they are looking for. So if they're looking at the very bottom tote, robots will come along in turn and they'll take all of the totes off and lower their proverbial robot hands to find that bottom tote and lift it out. The other type of automated stock movement is more akin to a traditional human operative. By having automated forklift trucks and reach trucks, your robots could be pulling down pallets from tool racking systems and moving them to the next location in the warehouse. So stock movement is the most common use case in a warehouse setting for retail. Other use cases really depend on what that warehouse is doing. Most broadly, are we talking about an e-commerce warehouse that is picking single items for a customer and includes detailed pack and dispatch operations? Or are we talking more about a bulk pick warehouse collating orders for wholesale customers or maybe physical retail stores as well? And in those instances, of course, volume and weight goes up significantly, maybe picking whole cases or boxes or multiples of a particular item. Again, it really depends on the specifics of your operating model and your business. 
but other robot use cases in those instances may be around cobots. So these are robots that are working in collaboration with humans. In particular, they tend to be used for moving totes or trays or boxes alongside human pickers. So if you or the picker, you can walk the warehouse aisle, pick the product, you put it in a tote being held by a robot or a cobot that will then drive off and take it to the next picker to assemble the order or maybe it will move it off to a pack station. Another interesting and fast developing area is around picking arms. So these are fully articulated with a couple of different elbows, I suppose, arms that are able to then pick up particular products. Maybe that is a whole box. Perhaps it's a loose item. Maybe even it's a clothing garment. And there are different technologies that act as the proverbial hands and fingers on that robot picking arm. Maybe it's about suction. Maybe it's about grippers, magnets, all sorts of different ways of picking up a particular product. So once you've moved and picked the item, you're going to need to collate it. Now for e-commerce orders or perhaps small wholesale or physical store orders, you're going to want to collate a few different items together and then move them on to packing. For larger store orders, you may need to assemble a pallet, making sure that you've got dense, safe packing, hopefully not putting your fragile items at the bottom with the great big heavy items right on top. And there are robots that can do both of those different tasks. Then into packing, again, lots of different robot options, whether you're talking about automated box construction, either for a standard size box or a customized box, bagging machines, pallet wrappers, all sorts of different solutions here. You can take that assembled and packed order, add labels, complete any necessary checks, and ultimately route it on to the next stage, ready to leave the warehouse. And of course, you can deploy robots in one or all of these different use cases. And there are other more ad hoc use cases as well. Companies like IKEA are using drones to do stock checks, flying around the warehouse, particularly going up high racking, scanning pallets, counting items, etc. There are floor cleaning robots that are keeping a warehouse clean and safe for both human operatives as well as other robots as well, of course. Now, the whole benefits of robots in a warehouse setting are generally focused around efficiency. Less labor is spent on walking or moving or picking. For relatively stable tasks, you can achieve equivalent or faster speeds relative to people. And robots can also be more energy efficient too. Often, robots can work in the dark or in colder environments, for example. So those high utility bills can really be brought down, despite the energy cost that goes into powering the robots. Another benefit is around picking accuracy, because robots can deploy automatically a number of different scan points, whether that is scanning to make sure it's the right stock that's being moved, whether it's scanning to make sure it's the right product being picked. All of those scans with a human operative take time, right? It's another couple of seconds to scan, check, and take action. That can all be brought into the automated flow, ultimately making sure that the right product 
or the right box goes to the right location and the right next customer, whether that, like I say, is a consumer, store, whatever. Flexibility, we've mentioned already. Robotics offer great flexibility, especially compared to other automation options in warehouses. You know, if there is a changing pattern of trade or the types of products change, for example, seasonally, or you're growing at a massive speed, facing unexpected surges, or have any other form of variability. Robots offer flexibility, not as flexible as humans, but more efficient than humans, but more flexible and arguably equivalently efficient as other automation options. It's funny talking about variability as well, thinking about humans as well. Let's be honest, people offer lots of variability. Some people are absolutely strong performers. They operate at high walking speed, high picking speed, whatever sort of productivity measure you want to use, they're off the charts. Others are at the other end to form the proverbial law of averages, right? Robots, however, are more predictable. They work at a maximum output and all are going to be broadly the same pending any maintenance uh, issues that may be slowing it down. And that means you can be more predictable. You don't have the huge standard variation that a human workforce would present. That suddenly means if your star performer doesn't turn up because they're on holiday, for example, suddenly you see a whole dip in the overall performance. Robots also can offer round-the-clock operations and they don't take breaks. So swapping between shifts can be a lot faster. Maybe you're looking to put on a night shift. Maybe it's peak and you need 24-hour or near 24-hour operations. That can be done more easily. It's less intensive because you need fewer people. And even robots can do tasks without any human involvement through the night as well, getting ready for the next day. And the other big benefit of robots, especially compared to other automation solutions, is that they can be retrofitted and installed into old warehouses or existing operations. Yes, of course, you're going to need to carefully plan out the processes and the stages of that transformation, but it can be done. It is not only relying on a complete warehouse overhaul or a new warehouse, and that presents great, great opportunities. But there are a number of considerations and watchouts. Of course, this is going to need to be highly tailored to your operation, to your particular business, the products, the trading patterns, all, the, all that good stuff is so critical. You need a tailor-made specific solution for your operation. Absolutely. But there are some common themes that you need to look out for as well. And these considerations and watchouts are absolutely inspired by projects I've worked on with clients, scoping and planning and delivering automation solutions. So firstly, you've got to think about the ongoing costs that robots represent. It's easy to consider that there would be a heavy capital cost or initial outlay for installation and setting up the robots, and then it's relatively low cost. But actually, you need to account for license fees, maintenance fees, repair, parts, as well as robot supervisors too. And based on an assumption that you're not going to be removing every single human task from your warehouse, there is still going to be a labor budget involved as well. 
And so you're going to need to think about those ongoing costs really clearly and then justify the business case and the overall rationale. Does it make good, sensible business and financial sense when you take into account all of the various trends around labor rates, productivity, resource availability, all of the different costs and the ultimate productivity and output of the system? Does that make good viable sense. And of course, you're going to want to get some early back of the napkin calculations to prove that and then develop as you find out more and more of these different detailed costs or impacts or considerations. It's super critical to consider bottlenecks as well. Now, this is true for any process planning, I have to be honest. But when you are adding an element of robotics that are still flexible, but less flexible than people, this is really key. You know, you cannot have an AMR stop moving system suddenly get up and decide to turn into a packing robot, right? So there is absolutely no point in having the most incredible, advanced, awesome, automated pick process with all these different picking arms, picking everything at rapid speed. If you then get to the pack benches and they're still manually resourced, slow, falling over, and it ultimately it creates a queue, right? And when you get orders starting to queue up, it requires more effort to manage and actually orchestrate the queue, making sure that things are moving through and not getting lost, and actually takes more time and more effort. So you really need to make sure you understand your process flows, your balances, and where your bottlenecks are. And simulation and modeling can be an awesome resource and approach for this. And that can help balance the right elements of your automation solution. And you can also see how different factors play into this. You know, for example, what happens if one particular component of your automation goes down? How does everything else flow around it? Can it flow around it? Or is there a gate that is formed? Do consider your peak capacity in terms of space, in terms of throughput requirements, in terms of what those surges look like, and equally consider the troughs as well. If there are large parts of the year that the warehouse is going to be relatively unbusy, does it make sense to have an all singing, all dancing automation solution there where you're still paying a lot of those costs at a minimal utilization? If you are going to be converting an old warehouse, there are going to be lots of different property-based challenges to face into, thinking about connectivity, thinking about quality of the building, whether that's floor flatness, whether that is fire sprinklers and fire systems, whether that's particular bottlenecks, for example, doorways within the warehouse. And of course, you have to think about that process of conversion. How do you take an existing warehouse, perhaps with a live operation that is running at full speed, how do you move that into an automated solution? You'll need to think about uptime and reliability and maintenance processes, especially thinking about your overall operating model. If you are putting all of the eggs in one basket, your automation solution, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to quickly add a load of resource to get the proverbial system pumping, right? You know, if you have a surge of orders that you're not ready for, you can't just pile in more people because 
the automation element, particularly if it's stock movement, can only do so much. And then finally, the integration into your systems is of course key. The automation solution is likely to have its own software layers and control systems that maybe need to fully integrate with your warehouse management system or order management system, for example. And you really need to, again, be clear on the operating model and the proverbial proposition of the warehouse and think, how am I going to bring this to life? So absolutely loads to consider. And as I suggested, for your specific design, I'm sure there'll be lots of interesting elements in there as well. So as I hinted at earlier on, the whole automation market in warehouses is really developing at a massive speed. So where do I think we could be heading next? Well, firstly, I think let's look outside the warehouse because we've got more and more autonomous transport being developed, whether that is autonomous trucks or autonomous couriers and sort of delivery robots. All of these are changing. So how are we going to need to receive and prepare to ship our orders? And what's the robotic solutions that we need for that? Can some of those for example, stock movement robots be repurposed or is there a new specialized type of robot needed? Order cutoff times are crucially important for warehouses, as I'm sure you know. So how do we maximize order flexibility and develop some clever techniques, for example, to include express operations or last minute pick? We'll start to see more robotics integrated through the process at warehouses all the way from receiving goods and putting away, all the way into stock checks. And we'll start to see more and more robots collaborating together, not just swarms of one type of robot, but actually the different forms of robots connecting. And the level of software and control system integration is of course key, otherwise it gets very broken very quickly. <laughs> so that's gonna be critical. I think it's really fascinating because there's more and more warehouses start to become automated, we're going to need to start to think more about robot efficiency and robot productivity. You know, how do you make the most of the investment that has been made to minimize travel, maximize output, for example, and reliability and uptime will absolutely be part of that, especially as technologies develop, whether it's battery lives, whether it's different mechanical components. You know, look at what Amazon have done with Kiva Systems over the last 11 years. They've really developed that AMR robot. And there are many other use cases for robotics outside of the warehouse, but within the retail industry. And I'm looking forward to unpacking those with you very soon. So do make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on your usual podcast app. Just hit that button right now. And don't miss upcoming episodes where we will continue our automation journey thinking about all of the different use cases in retail. And in the meantime, here are a few episodes related to today's that you may want to check out now. Back in episode 92, I spoke with Mark Messina and Simon Houghton about automating your warehouse. So really interesting there as AMRs in particular, were starting to develop in their sophistication. A connected technology that can really level up a warehouse is that of RFID. And back in episode 151, I was talking to Uwe Hennig about how RFID is changing retail. 
Another Connected episode is back in episode 108, where I was speaking with supply chain expert Gary Newbury, and we were exploring agile supply chains. So three episodes to check out there. I'm going to put the links and the references to those on the show notes for today's episode. So head on over to obandco.uk slash 246 and do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing whilst you are over there. You'll also find my contact details. So if you'd like to talk about how you can accelerate your transformation, whether it's around automation or developing your organization's operating model, do reach out. I'd love to help you navigate disruption. My email is oliver.banks at obandco.uk, by the way. But thank you so much for tuning in today. I do hope you've enjoyed the topic. It's absolutely fascinating to me. So I can't wait to hear what you think about this one. Thank you again for tuning in. And I look forward to joining you in another episode of the Retail Transformation Show. Catch you then. Bye.